On today's episode of Think Forever, it's a story of boldness. We'll see how one proactive woman harnessed her resources to create a legacy, and how everyone can use their unique gifts for the glory of God and the good of their neighbors. In the scope of eternity, our lives are just a dot on a line that extends with no end. In this podcast, I tell stories about people who believed that and lived it, so that by looking at their lives, we might better understand how to think forever. Episode 5, Stick Gods, Purple Goods, and the Truth. Lydia adjusted her head covering once more, tucking errant graying strands of hair under the fine purple cloth. In the polished bronze mirror, an old woman peered back at her. When had this happened? When had the laugh lines gotten so deep, and the skin under her eyes so droopy? Inside, she was still a young girl, eyes dark and sparkling, skin soft and smooth. She shook her head. God doesn't care what you look like, Lydia. God. The one and only God. Yahweh. Through the open window, a breeze carried scents of citrus and sweet gum flowers mingled with aromas of food cooking in the marketplace stalls. Although it was Sabbath, most of the marketplace was run by those who didn't keep the day holy, so the market was bustling today, just as it was every other day of the week. Just like it had been all those years ago, when she was a child in Thyatira. Lydia, Lydia, come bow to the stick god. Lay your gift before him. The boy laughed and dragged her by her skinny arm to where he and the other boys had propped a grotesque twig creation against a wall. Tied with strips of dirty cloth, it resembled an animal with four legs. Maybe a goat? Lydia was only seven, no match for the gang of twelve-year-old boys who ruled the street leading to the market. Let me go. I'll tell him. My father, my father, my father, the leader's mocking parody brought guffaws from his followers. Tell her about the punishment, Gallio, said a boy Lydia had thought was her friend. What was the son of one of her family's cloth sellers doing here? Lydia glared at him and swiped at the tears running down her cheeks. She saw his smile falter, and he looked away. Her threat to tell her father, the foremost purveyor of purple goods in Thyatira, was an empty one. Yes, she was angry, but shame kept her silent week after week. How could she tell her father, her handsome, greatly admired father, that these boys taunted her, even grabbed her, when she made her way to bring him his midday meal? Somehow, she must have brought this on herself— 
Yes, the punishment, sneered the gang's leader. If you don't present this god with a worthy gift, he will cause you to trip and skin your knees, and blood will run into your fancy sandals. He shoved her into the dust so her nose was almost touching their god, their twig and twine god, their, yes, Lydia saw it now, ridiculous god. It came to her then. This tied-together bunch of sticks was really no different than the gods made of stone, of silver, of gold that adorned Thyatira. Someone had made them, fashioned them from things they'd found, and then proclaimed them gods just like these bullies did. Gods that must be worshipped, feared, given gifts to forestall their wrath. If they were truly gods, why did they inhabit man-made items? And why had Lydia seen a flicker of doubt in her father's eyes one night, when he placed yet another offering before their household shrine? So long ago. Her father, and even her husband, were long dead, and she missed them both terribly. Moving to Philippi had been just what she needed, a project to keep her heart and mind busy. Setting up another household in this Roman colony and building a warehouse to store the purple goods she had shipped from Thyatira had taken several months. Her son had remained in Thyatira to run the business there, so she'd been free to stay and oversee construction here. Now the wealthy of Philippi eagerly purchased the highly prized cloth she sold. And she'd made many friends among them and among her fellow merchants when she'd funded the expansion of the marketplace. Lydia turned from the mirror so her servant Mertis could tie on her sandals. They needed to leave now, or they would be late to meet her friends by the river for a time of prayer. The Jewish women who'd befriended her when she first arrived in Philippi had shared their belief in one god, and Lydia had become a god-fearer, finally leaving behind the part of her life surrounded by idol worship. Although some of the Jewish women bemoaned the lack of a true synagogue— Lydia loved the serene beauty of the small river as it wound its way through groves of trees with thick trunks and vivid green leaves. As she and her servants hurried out the front courtyard, she smiled to think of the peace she always felt by the water as she and her friends lifted their prayers to the one true God. Lydia recognized the men making their way toward them along the riverbank. They'd been in Philippi several days, in the marketplace, outside the baths, walking along the Via Ignatia. They'd always had small groups of people surrounding them, pressing forward to hear what they had to say. One, the tallest man, surely their leader, had been seen in the tentmaker's workshop on several occasions, working with leather. People gathered there, too, to listen as he spoke. Lydia was far too busy to stop and listen, but she'd heard the man was a Jew and spoke about things that angered some of the Jewish leaders in other cities. May we join you? It was the taller man who asked. Alexia, the self-appointed leader of the women, gestured for the men to sit on a nearby slab of rock. And the leader began to speak. 
He did not speak loudly or gesture broadly with his work-worn hands, but he spoke clearly and as one with authority. He told them his name was Paul. He told them about his past, how he'd persecuted those who believed that the man called Jesus was the promised Christ, who believed Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. Paul told them about his conversion on the road to Damascus, how the risen Christ had spoken to him. Paul told the women by the river how Jesus fulfilled the promises of God, that through him salvation will come to all who believe, that through Christ forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which they could not be freed by the law of Moses. As Paul spoke, his quiet assurance and clear reasoning drew Lydia in as if he were a lemon blossom and she the bee searching for sustenance. She'd always prided herself on being able to discern truth or falsehood as she dealt with dye makers, cloth dyers, and cloth weavers in her business. Even the wily shipmasters couldn't lie their way around her. But she'd never felt the truth of someone's words more strongly than she did now. Her eyes filled with tears. Her hand went to her chest. She felt as if sunlight were filling her heart. Paul smiled at her. What is your name? Lydia. My name is Lydia. She felt herself smiling back at this man who had just told her the truest truth she'd ever heard. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? that he died for your sins, that he rose again, was alive, and ascended into heaven? Yes. Would you like to be baptized, Lydia? What? To be washed in the waters of this river, to be cleansed of your sins, to become new in Christ? Yes. She spoke without thinking, without careful considerations of the pros and cons, like she did in her everyday business dealings. Yes. This, this is what she'd been waiting for since she was a child forced to lay coins at the foot of a stick figure. Mertis, quickly, go and get the rest of the household. Everyone, we will all be washed clean. No, thank you, Lydia. It is very kind, but we... Yes, you must. I have plenty of rooms and food and wine. You must come and stay with me. The water droplets flung from her fingers looked like precious gems flashing in the sunlight by the river. This had been going on for a few minutes now, with Lydia insisting Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke stay with her while they were in Philippi. She continuing to invite, Paul continuing to protest. He tried to explain how it was important for Christ's disciples to work for their food and lodging, that they not be seen to take advantage of anyone. So it's no problem then, said Lydia. You won't be taking advantage of me at all. I have invited you and have more than enough to share. In addition, she said with a look that said the clincher was coming, I want to establish a meeting place for Christ followers in my home, all those you baptized and will baptize before you leave our fair city. Paul opened his mouth to say something, but 
closed it again. He looked at his friends, tired, hungry, but willing to do whatever he decided. Lydia stood silently, but resolute. She didn't run her purple goods empire by backing down. Lydia, we would be honored to stay with you. Thank you. These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. It was Velina, the slave girl owned by some of the olive oil merchants. She'd been following Paul and his friends every day while they made their way from Lydia's house to the place of prayer by the river, shrieking the same thing over and over. Lydia wasn't surprised Velina knew who and what the men were. She had a spirit in her that made a great deal of money for her owner by fortune-telling. But Lydia was surprised the girl followed them every day. She earned nothing by her proclamation about Paul and the others. In fact, one of the oil merchants tried to pull her away one morning, but Velina jerked free, snarling at him, crouching in the dust of the Via Ignatia like a wild animal. The merchant backed away, angry, but afraid. As the days wore on, Paul grew more and more annoyed by the girl. She followed too closely. Her voice was loud and shrill, and her laugh made chills run up Lydia's arms. At times, Velina seemed almost mocking, even though her words themselves told the truth. Lydia saw that many of the townspeople turned away from her in disgust or even fear and didn't follow Paul to the river. The morning finally came when Paul could tolerate it no longer. He spun around, causing Velina to stagger back, but she quickly regained her balance and began her refrain. These men are servants! But Paul's voice rose above her refrain. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her! And it did. With a rushing sound, like the wind blowing high on a hilltop, the spirit left her. Velina fell to the ground like a discarded cloak, her face like that of a young girl again. Paul and Silas reached to lift her to her feet. What happened? Where am I? she asked. But before Paul could speak, her owners ran to them shouting, What have you done? She belongs to us! You had no right to take away her gift! The merchants seized Paul and Silas, not seeming to care that Velina fell to the ground once more. Within minutes, Paul and Silas stood before the city's magistrates, who were ensconced at the judgment seat in the marketplace. Lydia hurried along behind the crowd, lifting the hem of her skirt in order to keep up. She watched in horror as charges were brought against Paul and Silas. It seemed the fact that they were Jews added to the charges of advocating customs unlawful for Romans to accept or practice. What customs? thought Lydia. Were they not free citizens in a Roman outpost? Were these merchants saying they couldn't worship who they wanted? A crowd had gathered now, with others joining in condemning Paul and Silas. The yelling, shouting, jeering was deafening, and spittle flew from one of the men and landed on Lydia's face. 
wiping at it with her shawl. She realized his face was as distorted as Valina's had been when she was inhabited by the spirit. Twisted. Full of hate. Hate for these men he knew nothing about except that they were Jews. Strip and beat them. The head magistrate's voice rose above the crowd. Those nearest Paul grabbed at his garments, tearing them, pulling them until his back was bare. Silas, too, was stripped. Hold them, commanded a man who Lydia knew was a retired Roman soldier who lived near her house with his wife and young children. His face was carved granite, impassive, calm. He's done this before, thought Lydia. The soldier tossed a long, flexible rod to another discharged soldier, keeping one for himself. It began. The blows fell on fragile skin, ripping it, bruising it. Again and again the rods were raised and brought down on the backs of the men who had done nothing wrong but preached Jesus Christ and the salvation he offered. At first, the crowds cheered and shouted, urging the soldiers on. But after several horrible moments, even the merchants who had brought the charges in the first place grew silent. Many in the crowd turned away and left the horrible scene to go back to their homes and businesses. Still, the blows continued. Blood ran down into Paul's sandals. Those will be ruined. I'll need to get new ones made for him. Even as she thought it, Lydia knew it was her mind trying to latch onto something besides the men's shredded backs. She wanted to leave like so many others had, but knew that it was the cowardly thing to do. And ever since she had been bullied as a young child in the streets of Thyatira, she had vowed never to be a coward again. Finally, with the flick of the head magistrate's finger, the soldiers stepped back. Throw them in the prison. Tell the jailer to put them in the inner cell and lock them into the stocks. And he'd better guard them carefully. Step aside. The soldiers dragged Paul and Silas past those who had remained, heading toward the prison. Lydia reached out toward Paul, hoping to comfort him, but the soldier shoved her back. Are you hoping for the rod as well, woman? Purple goods purveyor you may be, but you've been seen with these men. Step aside. Paul's eyes met hers, and he shook his head a small movement that must have caused him even more pain. Lydia nodded. She knew he was telling her to stay out of trouble, to use the wealth and determination God had given her to nurture these fledgling believers, to take care of this new and vulnerable church. Somehow, she knew this was just the beginning, the start of the rest of her life's work. She turned then from the badly beaten men to do what Paul had asked. She once more lifted the hem of her skirts, this time to hurry back to her home, already mentally rearranging furniture and rugs to make room for those who wanted to come and learn about the saving grace of Jesus, the Christ. She would invite all the women who prayed by the river, their families, their servants. Food. They would need lots of food and wine. 
Lydia felt like she always did when she started a new project, when she built another ship, another warehouse, filled with purpose and energy. But this time, oh, this time, it was more, much more. This was about the truest truth she had ever known. Thank you for listening to this episode of Think Forever. The story was written by Laura Findlay Evans and performed by me, Joe Mayers. If you're enjoying our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. More information about this show and our live performances can be found on our website at www.thinkforever.org. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week when I interview the author about her story, Stick God's purple goods, and the truth.